Hello, you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, where this week we are going to discuss Super 8. <laughs> they may just have it on, they may not be listening. Uh, that's true. On. You could just be having it running. That's fine. That works. That works for us as well. Uh, I am Tom point. Chick. I am joined by Christian M- M- uh, Murinowski. <laughs> Y'all can just refer to me as Smartin, even though I hate that. <laughs> and also Kelly Wand, who has a tagline for us. Kelly Wand, take it away with the Super 8 tagline for the week. Yeah, uh, he could take the picture of his mom out of the locket and keep it if he gave a shit. <laughs> Alien doesn't need the photo, does he? <laughs> I hope that's not a spoiler. Okay, we're done here. I mean, it was heartwarming. Uh, what do I mean? I, that's what I meant to say. Well, now, before we get into more spoilers, uh, Dingus, why don't you tell us a little bit about what exactly we saw this week? Spoiler free. If you haven't seen Super 8, what Dingus is going to tell you now is nothing that you probably don't already know. Okay. Um, yeah, this week we saw Super 8, a 2011 American science fiction movie. It was written by and directed by J.J. Abrams. Uh, the film stars Joel Courtney, Al Fanning, Kyle Chandler, and Steven Spielberg, and is about a group of kids making their own little Super 8 movie when something goes horribly wrong. Mm. The film is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi action and mm. violence. Mm. Some drug use and language, including two F-words, over 40 S-words, and there are over a dozen uses of the H-word, the A-word, the D-word, and also we hear the B-word, the P-word, and another D-word. Most of the profanity is used by younger teens. Dingus, I was not aware there were two F words. I remember distinctly. I heard one. I remember the stoner getting one. What was the second F word, Dingus? Before we get into spoilers, is that a spoiler, by the way? It is not. The, the, there is only one that I remember. I'm just reading from the parental advisory. I did not count uh, all 40 S words uh, or the other D words or P words or B words. Because I think um, the conventional me, I, wisdom is that a PG-13, and I don't, I don't believe this. I think it's like an urban legend that gets passed around. A PG-13 movie can have one F word. And I remember the F word in Super 8. Uh, I would be delighted to know that now they're allowing two in PG-13 movies, and I was just curious if we could verify the appearance of a second F-word. I don't think we can. Is that correct? Uh, I can't verify a second F-word, although I've heard actors talking about trying to get to be the actor who gets to use the F-word in a PG-13. Uh, what an awesome system we live by. What Kel- awesome monkeys we are. Kelly Wan, did you notice a second F-word? Uh, I noticed when I said it a few times but not in the movie. <laughs> But for me, F-words aren't spoilers. They're enhancers because swearing's cool and funny. Ah, good point. Very good point. So, But it's interesting that Dingus didn't say he heard two either, and he's the one on the alert. He's kind of the MPAA representative of the podcast. Well, he's also – Dingus is also bringing in third-party sources. Isn't that correct, Dingus, that your information is from a third-party source? We're just passing it along. Absolutely. We are? What's when the- when I um, check how the MPAA rated the film – uh, I, I go with their ratings, and I try to look and research parental advisories. And I also found out alternate titles for the film, so that's what's fun. Oh, oh wait, hold that, hold that thought. Uh, I definitely want to hear those. Uh, can we, however, all agree that there were sequences of intense sci-fi action? Well, I can verify seeing those. Uh, yes, I will agree to that. How about sci-fi violence? 
Oh, it even said sci-fi violence. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'm on board with That's that. That's not my favorite violence kind, but it's in the top six. <laughs> uh, before we explore alternate titles, because I can't wait to hear what they are, and I, I have a theory about why this one is called what it is called, uh, Kelly Wand, why don't you go ahead and drive away everyone who hasn't seen this movie by spoiling huh. it for them? Wow, what an awesome feature. Oh. By the way, in the last 24 hours, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen Super 8, Tree of Life, and The Human Centipede, <laughs> which I just want to say is the best triple feature ever for all ages. Everyone should do it, and in that order. Okay. Um, oh, also, when you're going to go to the 3x3, three three, Tom, um, cue me to do an impression. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I can't wait. I hope no one heard that but you, because I, I meant to say that before we started recording. He'll he'll edit that out. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Uh, uh, okay, the Super 8 Is that what you're asking for? I wasn't really listening. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait for a Super 8 uh, Sock it to us, Kelly Wand. Go. Oh, see, I see what you're doing there. It's 70s <laughs> phrases, because it's the movie. Because, yeah, let's, and, and let's make sure, Kelly Wand, that it's mint. <laughs> uh, don't spoil this, the Super 8 I'm just asking for it to be mint. Mint. Not even near mint. And no one said that in 79. Anyway, Kelly, okay. is, Kelly is so mint. Kelly's mint. I think Kelly's mint. Kelly. In John Hughes movies, they always called the jocks sport, too. And I, I never heard anybody say that when I was a teenager. No one called the jocks sports or sporto. That's what they call Emilio Estevez in Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. Whatever, nerd. <laughs> anyway, nerd was, nerd was used, though. <laughs> That's an authentic uh, jargon. All right. So it's 1979, yeah. Uh, it's the year before the year before the year before the year ET came out, but it's the year Chomps with Valerie Bertinelli came out. Coincidence? Because Chompers and this kid named Elliot is helping his fatty friend Chunk make this awesome Super 8 zombie movie, so that they can someday make passionless CG summer blockbusters for disinterested accountants. And he's sad because his mom died at the steel mill, which is where most suburban moms worked back in 79. It was a different time, Tom. <laughs> Not dingus so much. And Elliot's dad's a tan cop who's mad at the Jake Busey dad because he switched shifts with the mom instead of being mad at the steel mill for not being a safe place to work. But the dad's just a cop. It's not like public safety is part of law enforcement or anything. Actually, any steel mill with a sign that says days since last fatality and only has space for three numbers next to the word days. <laughs> I'm no OSHA rep, but uh, probably isn't mom safe. Anyway, um, <clears throat> those moms are so clumsy. That's the lesson we should take away. So Chunk takes this blonde girl, Dakota Fanning, into being in a zombie porno because he's super committed to his art, but a little casting couch action on the side never hurts unless she's wearing spikes. And they cast their friend who throws up a lot as the detective with a stomach of hot lead and the guy with big teeth, their special effects guy, even though all he has in his backpack are fireworks, even though there's no fireworks involved in the zombie movie they're making because fireworks don't do shit to zombies. But Dakota Fanning likes Elliot because he knows how to apply makeup and she's all... Wait, so which models have you worked for again? And he's all, uh, no, I said I make models. That's why my fingers reek of rubber cement, probably. And she's all, oh, yeah, speaking of which, sorry my dad killed your mom. It was because my mom left him for a piece of asparagus. 
If you talk to asparagus, you'd see why. And he's all, I wore a locket on my mom's face. And she's all, if you weren't 10, we'd be making out right now like they did in E.T. But now that we live in more uptight times, I'll just simulate giving you a hickey by pretending to rip your throat out as a ghoul. And the jealous fat kid's all, oh, my mom's not feeling so mint lately. (laughs) (laughs) Just FYI, I'm a director, not a makeup artist. Just throwing that out there. So they go to a train station to film a scene where no one gets on a train, and the fat kid's all, okay, in this scene, you've fallen in love with your director, so you break character and tear all your clothes off. And then they see a train's whooshing deafeningly past, and Fatty's all, dude, mint, production values, roll them. And Dakota Fanning's all, what? I can't hear you. Doesn't this loudness kind of ruin the shot? And he's all, four inches, but thick at the base. Wait, what? Sorry, I can't hear you. There's a CG train going by. And then a black guy in the yellow truck from Close Encounters goes head on against the train, which flings burning train cars everywhere for 100 miles and gives the truck driver some facial scrapes and dents the fender. But the train cars, I don't know if I mentioned... They go, they turn into meteors and blow everywhere. Anyway, so none of the kids die, surprisingly. <laughs> so they go up to the truck, and Stinky's all, hey, look, it's our cryptic woodshop teacher, Mr. McGillicuddy. And Elliot goes, hi, Mr. McGillicuddy, about that C-. And the black dude points a gun at them and goes, all your parents are going to die, and also you. Long story, incoherent. <laughs> and the pyro kid goes, are my kids? Oh, I fucked it up. And the pyro kid goes... <laughs> Oh, it's my favorite line, too. Please edit this out. (laughs) It's such a good line. And the pyro kid goes, are my parents going to die, coach? (laughs) Right? Come on, that's good. And Elliot raises a styrofoam Rubik's Cube that are all over the place and goes, hey, Mr. McGillicuddy, maybe this isn't the best time, but what's this shit do? Nothing for the rest of the movie, but then... And the kid whose primary trait is that he's devoid of personality quirks points and goes, look, flashlights, they're fluttering this way. What do we do? And Elliot goes, got to be army guys trying to cover up a conspiracy, huh, guys? And kid number four goes, with flashlights? And Fatty goes, mint. And then he looks at the fireballs and twisted metal and tells Dakota Fanning, don't take this wrong, but I still think tying you to the tracks would have been better for the scene. And Dakota Fanning's yellow car is totally untouched, so they take turns driving at home unnoticed, because the whole town slept through the train crash, because it wasn't that loud. And the kids believably disperse and sleep peacefully and don't say shit to anybody or each other. So Fatty says the camera got vaporized to ash, but the film inside's fine. So they take it to Photomat, and the stone guy who works there goes, I'll put a rush on it and develop it. After I smoke pot for three days, speaking of which, tell your hot sister her eighth is in, but I might owe her a dime's worth, but I can pay her back in gropings. And they're all, I think we get why there were no girls in E.T. now. (laughs) Huh, guys? So all the town dogs run away because dogs aren't exactly known for their ferocity or loyalty. And the guy from Truman shows an evil Air Force brigadier. And they start a fire with a flamethrower in a field and tell everybody to evacuate because a weather balloon caused the fire. And they catch Elliot's dad by not shooting him at a roadblock and putting him in a cell to keep indefinitely unless their commander dies, in which case he'll be off the hook. But he tricks them by pretending he needs to pee and stealing a guard's uniform and them never noticing he's gone and the clothes fitting and that guy's fellow soldiers all mistaking him for their friend and member of their covert ops unit. 
but he never does anything for the rest of the movie, so his escape wasn't really necessary. And the town's evacuated, but Dakota Fanning gets captured by the alien by watching her dad crash into a parked car after he told her to leave. So the kids man up to go rescue her, or at least some of them do, but not Fatty. But Truman Show captures them and puts them on a bus to the death camp for minors. <laughs> and the black guy steals Elliot's locket with a picture of his white mom, because he likes carrying evidence of the kids he's about to kill around while he's on duty. It's like a military tradition. But the alien attacks the bus and violently kills everybody but the kids, because grown-ups don't know the crawling through blo- broken glass trick. God, this is fucking endless. I mean, awesome. And then the alien leaves again because it's done attacking the bus. Oh, and everybody's missing their microwaves and spark plugs and dogs. But it turns out the alien's making a ship out of all those underground because that's the best place to hide and launch ships from, like we learned in Battle L.A. And Elliot and White Buckwheat rescue the useless sheriff and a woman with hair curlers who says something like, Is my hair done yet? Wah! And then the alien grabs her and the sheriff and eats them off camera seconds after they're rescued. But when the alien grabs Elliot, it doesn't kill him, and they mind meld. So they get out of the tunnel somehow and unite with the other townsfolk, who I thought were all evacuated, to watch with awe. (laughs) Out of dogs. And Mom Lockets takes off. And Elliot's dad goes, son, I'm proud of you. I hated that fucking locket. And Elliot points at the rising ship and goes, look, he's making a model. And Dakota Fanning's all, uh, actually, it's a ship, not a model. Also, CG. Speaking of which, you may want to stick to makeup if you want to work in the film industry 30 years from now, because model building and the dad goes, (laughs) of which I love you, son. And the alcoholic dad goes, and I love you, Dakota Fanning and Sheriff. Sorry about your wife. I killed her on purpose. (laughs) And the sheriff's all, well, bad things happen. Bad endings, too. And the fat kid's all, wait, so what did the alien look like? Was it in 3D? And Elliot's all, we never really got a good look at it, but this movie wasn't about the alien. It was about the characters, like the Lost finale. And everyone's all, ah, Bach. And the military guy comes up to him and goes, don't worry, we're not going to shoot you because the alien killed our boss, and he was the only unethical soldier ever in the armed forces. I guess we were wrong to leave him in charge for 30 years. Sorry about that, kids. But even if that fucking alien we just tortured for 30 years does come back with a fleet-seeking revenge, me and the boys here all felt mighty heart-warmed watching your microwaves break the laws of physics like that just now. Although maybe mighty's too strong a word, hung guys. And Fatty goes, I can't wait to snip out the alien parts of my movie and act like none of this ever happened. Knowing there's aliens changes nothing in my world. What's <laughs> Cleveland Film Fest is going to shit Oscars when they see the fat person I am. Mint! Or whatever other candy you got. I'm famished! The end. Yellow song cued here. Oh, no, it's so worth it. Ta-da! So, yeah. Super 8. We saw it. And then I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Stop. Kelly Wand, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Kelly. I, I, will you marry me, Kelly Wand? Oh, oh, you ladies, yeah. get a room. Uh, Dingus, what were some alternate titles for this movie? Why, why, why? Other than what could it have been called besides Super Eight? And are these real things you uncovered? Uh, according to the MPAA where you have to register such things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film was also going to be called Darlings. Yeah. What? 
and Why? Pro- and Project Wickham. Wickham? <laughs> Wait a minute. That's a kind of good title, but why Darlings? I have First. no idea. But some of these things, you know, like Cloverfield was was really named that in order to throw people off. I mean, so, some working titles are in order to uh, obfuscate what, what, what project people are working on so people don't get ideas from it. And also, well, for, it was also the street that his, his office was on in Santa Monica, that Cloverfield Exactly. Street. So so Project Wickham might have been the same thing. I have no idea what Darlings was, was supposed to be. And they went with Super 8 instead. All right. Uh, so these boys... No. You know, ahead. I'm really, really excited to hear th- that Tom has uh, an explanation for why the hell this is called Super 8. Because, uh, yeah, because I didn't get I just was like, why the... Uh, I'm really... Move doesn't anyway. matter at all. It's a cute thing. It's, I but like I, their I'm move. excited that Tom has a theory for that. I have a right, right, right. This is what he's good at. This is what we have, Tom. See, I don't think these theories work. I think these are might be why it was originally called Super 8 and... Something changed along the way. So a, a couple of theories. One of them, maybe the boys were supposed to be eight years old, and it's about how <laughs> super it was when you're eight years old and you don't realize that a movie like this is as bad as it is, and you can, you can enjoy it. <laughs> I was expecting something way more metaphysical and arcane than that. No, no, I got nothing. The it's other weird. thing, well, maybe, um, what if you're going to... Well, what if like, there were yeah. set a stone for this? No, no, there's no. Yeah. I, I think it's. I, I think what happens with the like J.J. Abrams production company is they have these working titles, and they never get around to thinking up something better, and so they stick with it, like like Cloverfield. So another theory, maybe originally, I, I guess there were five kids here. Maybe originally there were three additional characters who got cut. Oh, God. Like there were eight kids, and they were like, "That's too many. Let's lose three of them." And then we're just left. You can't with, call it Super Five because Fast Five comes out on a third layer. Well, because there's no film. There's no film stock called Super Five. I mean, that's obviously you know they're they're shooting Super Eight, that little camera. Uh, but you know, it, if that's that's a pretty stupid thing to name a movie after film stock without having some sort of double meaning or reference beyond the film stock. And I don't, I don't, I got nothing. Or I just the thought, film stock having anything to do with the plot? Like, I mean. The, all it worked for was, oh, look, it's how cute the CG train wreck is compared to the thing they made. Like, oh, it's I love you, Steven. I love you, JJ. But, I mean, it didn't play any role with the alien at all. It had well, no bearing on the storyline. I think that's kind of uh, the, the movie in a nutshell. Is it's three separate things that really don't fit together and none of which is any good. Uh, I, I thought, uh, you know, you get the you get a. Uh, I would say in order of how bad they are, you get a movie about the dead mom, you get a movie yeah. about a rampaging alien, and then you get a movie about kids making a movie. And I don't know what one of those things has to do with the other. The movie didn't justify all three of those being in there. The title only refers to one of them. Uh, so, yeah, who knows? But before didn't we give a shit. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm predicting that Dingus loved this, so I don't want to start trashing it too hard yet. I want to get give Dingus a chance to get in here and speak glowingly about it like he probably will. Kelly Wan, I'm assuming you didn't care for it because there's too much redemption, right? Uh, I was really enjoying the first hour, and then in the last, I, everything with the bus and after sucks, and everything in the tunnel sucked, and it's like the same thing was lost, like all these awesome setups, and this guy does not know how to resolve anything. He needs to hire another writer to just finish the scripts. I want to I want to hear more about the awesome setups because I didn't see those. But hold that thought, Dingus. You loved Super Eight, didn't you? I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Huh? huh. How about that? Interesting. 
What a surprise. Uh, so, um, the usual I really loved it because we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen a movie where a bunch of people evacuate a town and there's like super cool close-ups of people and there's an alien coming uh, at them and attacking them at certain points and and a truck like Kelly Wand was talking about. I don't know what the Close Encounters thing he was mentioning. We've never seen a film like this. This is totally new. It's not ever been seen before and because it was totally new and doesn't remind me of any other films i totally <laughs> all right i get so it. so what you're saying dingus it's not an homage correct it's its own I thing know. i don't really know what that word trolling you he's trolling you he's not trolling me i actually saw it with him and i think we both sighed at an exasperated tone at pretty much the exact same times uh uh, we, we actually tried to laugh a couple of times. There were there were we we were game game. Sure. We tried to laugh at a few moments that seemed uh, almost forced funny, and we we really tried our best. Well, I, I'll laugh at anything. I mean, I'm easily amused. I but, but I'll laugh at movies that aren't funny and that aren't good. So that that's not a prerequisite to get me to laugh. I have to say. Uh, but yeah, we we were we were on board with it for a while. But uh, I could tell walking out. You know, we didn't we didn't talk about it, but I could tell walking out that. Uh, Pretty sure none of us was going to like this thing. Uh, so Kelly, one, what what were you said? It had some awesome setups. Like what? What? Well, awesome, go ahead. Yeah. What? What awesome setups did, did you feel that it had? Well, I like the train wreck, and I go, oh, what's the cube going to do? Oh, that's what's. I wonder what it's. It's going to do something magical and mm-hmm. Spielbergian. Mm-hmm. And and the kids, I go, all right, I can. Do, I kind of tell who's who. Like it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I was like, yeah, all right. And then something going on. The kids know, and there's a film. Oh wait, so now they know, and they're. And I thought, oh, there's going to be a real sense of peril because there's an alien. It's going to be mm-hmm. killing everybody. They have, the army's going to want to kill them, and then. Uh, you know, you think back to E.T., and it's like, it has actual plot twists where, and people die in it, don't they? In this really movie? Don't. Well, I think actually the creature no, in, in E.T. The, do- the doctor dies in this movie? Here's what I don't get. There's not one good shot of the monster ever. Am I wrong? We don't have the technology for that. Monsters <laughs> can only be shot at night and underground. At some point, we will develop that technology, Kelly Wand, and we'll let you know when that is. <laughs> But is uh, it even eating someone in the part where it's yeah, no, always eating people? Yeah, I think I think it's clear implication. Part of the part of the problem with this movie is it wants us to have this sense of a menacing alien, uh, and it it just doesn't have the chops to pull that off. So at one point we see what's supposed to be a disembodied leg, but the the line where the leg would be cut is conveniently obscured. Uh, so, but I think the clear implication is uh-huh. yes, that it has captured these people and it is going to eat them. And the the woman with the curlers in her hair and the sheriff, I think they get killed. Uh, right. So but yeah, the, why? And the M eighty kid says he's eating that person. I mean, right. I mean, yeah, I, I but think he, the movie really wants us to think that this is a, a malicious entity, that it that it is deadly, that there is peril, that there's a sense of danger. The movie really, really wants to sell that. And I, I think it just does a terrible job. I mean, you know, we see the, the poor gas station employee get killed. Uh, that right. guy killed the, the guy who's fixing the lights, which I thought was much more of a Close Encounters uh, riff than the the professor's pickup truck. You know, when you see that guy on the cherry picker, that's where I got much more of a Close Encounters vibe. I was like, oh, okay, here's the guy sent out to repair the power lines, which is exactly what Richard Dreyfuss was doing in Close Encounters. I think that guy gets killed. Um, so No one can do Spielbergian action, though, except Spielberg. Like, it's J.J. Abrams trying to ape those shots. 
I think that bus was supposed to be like an action set piece, and it was just terrible. You can't see what's going on. And if, but in, if you we talked about Jurassic Park and how awesome the action is, and that and it's like this is this is more proof of how awesome Jurassic Park is. Well, in Jurassic Park, you feel it. <laughs> and I, I don't think Abrams Primal really terror. knows how to choreograph that sort of action. I mean, he's got. I mentioned this to Dingus because I'd, I'd I'd accidentally heard it mentioned somewhere else that instead of having like any choreographed action, what J.J. Abrams does is he has somebody speaking and in the middle of their line, the creature reaches in and grabs someone. You know, he just has these sort of startling moments uh, like that's what he has in lieu of any meaningful choreography about what's going on with this bus. Uh, you know, the guy in the middle of his line, the can the bam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, but I think that that bus attack was supposed to be a set piece. There's a there's a, a brief uh, shot where the camera pulls back, and you're supposed to get this sweeping view of of the suburbia with the military hardwire going haywire, and that just that just looks terrible. I mean, it's just you know we're going to set off a few explosions, we're going to have a CG smoke trail with a missile, and then the kids running around. I just don't think J.J. Abrams. Yeah. He just can't. He doesn't. He doesn't know action. Uh, but, and he's just having but, those mimicry things. Sorry. Well, yeah, it's mimicry. It's it's a Steven Spielberg film directed by a puppet. It feels like. Yeah. Um. And and so, Tom, when when we left, I said I was suspicious of you for something. Do you know what that is? No. Uh, having a hard on. Uh, no, that's normal. Um. <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago, I don't know what the context was. <laughs> You asked us, can Steven Spielberg ever again uh, have kids in the kind of peril ah. uh, we saw kids in in Jurassic Park or in Jaws? And I thought after seeing this, oh, Tom must have seen uh, the trailer for this, and he was just setting us up. Because the moment Alice is taken, that that's what occurred to me is is – is this sort of echoing of Tom asking, can Steven Spielberg ever again have kids in peril? And thinking, did any of us for a second think when Alice was taken that there was any chance that right. she would be dead? Right. No. Absolutely not. None of them yeah. die. But you didn't um, ask that question with this film in mind. You were just asking, and this just happened to happen. And I think this is an endemic of that kind of thing. You know, Steven Spielberg produced it, uh, which seems a little odd is that, you know, it's a love letter to him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's producing his own love letter. Yeah, he's like working on it. And he's apparently spent time on the set. That just seems a little awkward and self-indulgent. But I think this is a classic example. No, you're, this movie will not imperil children. Uh, and I, I think you can tell that from the tone early on from the whole that and Kelly Wand, I hated the train wreck. It, it was like the Brontosaurus wreck. You know, it was the Brontosaurus scene from King Kong where you've just got actors running and let's just throw CG around every square inch of the screen, like whizzing over their head and things slamming into the ground besides them and behind them and in front of them. The train wreck was just absurd. I didn't enjoy and it at meteor, all. I, meteors I, are going to fall from the sky and nothing's going to land on one single person. I just, I, yeah, I, I, right there, the stakes were. I guess clear. I thought they were dead. I guess I thought they lost a couple kids there, but I'm, I think I was just pretending like <laughs> in my head. So that's what made me like it. Like, oh, they lost a couple. Of the, they lost Alfalfa and uh, Stymie. But I mean, it just this movie was never going to be dark. I mean, I, I think that the. The thing that I've heard a lot of comparisons to, and I've never seen this, is that it's like the, the Goonies. Uh, it's just a kid adventure, uh, and not because there's kids in it, but because it's for kids. 
Uh, and, and this idea, too, that it's an homage to Spielberg is that there's supposed to be a sense of wonder to it. And none of that is there, by the way. Yeah, there's no sense of wonder. There is no sense of wonder whatsoever. There's a there's a brief mystery that I just hated and thought was implausible and stupid. This idea of like the aliens scaring dogs off, stealing motors out of cars without being seen, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and, and anyway, it, it breaks everything. But the vengeance are like plucked right out of the cars with like. Everything's nice and tidily unplugged. And then the hoods yeah, the, were apparently shut back on it. And, and the movie Thank didn't you. even bother to solve that, that classic J.J. Abrams. It's let's present this mystery and I can't, be, I can't be bothered to solve it in yeah. any plausible it's about the characters. Right. <laughs> I don't need to solve mysteries. I've given these great characters based on Spielberg movies you saw 30 years ago. <laughs> but in E.T., there's all that awesome shit where it's like he has this telepathic connection with E.T., and E.T.'s getting drunk while he's making out with a chick and setting frogs free. Like, there's a lot of cool shit going on. And there's no dialogue in any of that. And where's any of that innovation anywhere in Super 8? It's all just the same shit. It's like explorers. What uh, what struck me is that early on in Super 8, uh, Charles, the the fat kid, has to dig up uh, an article in some kind of magazine about how you need a woman in a movie to make a story. And that seems to be exactly what's going on with that stupid dead mom subplot. Yeah. You need a woman. You need, and it's not just you know, Elle Fanning is just one of the kids. She might as well be one of the boys. I mean, she was good. I liked her, I guess. But uh, it's sort of exactly. like for, from that same article, J.J. Abrams read it and realized, uh-huh. oh, we need a dead mom subplot. Uh, and didn't note the the irony of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was lost on him. He thought you, you're you're giving, making him sound like oh it's Altman doing the player like he's mocking the industry subtly with that scene. No, he read it and then went oh I got to put in a scene where the fat kid reads what I just read and then. Well, how sorry. did how did you guys feel about them showing the case over the credits? Um. I liked it, but it wasn't as good as I was hoping. It's like the clips they, sh- they were shooting during the movie were funny, and then when you saw them in context, it was like it wasn't as as uh, as as endearing as it was. Mm-hmm. Dingus, did, did any of that work for you? Watching the case during the credits, it pissed me off. Why did it piss you <laughs> off? Because I think. Uh, I think you should be able to look at the fucking credits. I mean, those people worked on the film. And instead of watching the film, instead of Kids. watching their names and seeing their names, I'm seeing this lame-ass uh, pretend movie that these kids didn't make. I mean, if if that would have been mildly entertaining, okay, maybe. But, I, you know, I think that the people who did the film deserve to have their names in the credits, and we should look at them. And now – Sure, nobody's going to sit and watch them but me. Fine. But I I, I mean, I know Wait, everybody are... likes that and it was cute and it was fine, but the, but the movie wasn't it wasn't even inspired in any way. Dingus, do you object when uh, when Pixar does outtakes over the credits? Uh, yeah, they, involve, they involve Spanish buzz. Yes. <laughs> so you uh, wouldn't no, have minded no. if the case was better, was actually good. That might have distracted me from how I feel right now, but I <laughs> but I have this this general sense of unease about stuff popping up next to the credits because uh, I like seeing who was in the film and I like sitting there and just watching the names scroll by even if I don't know who the third grip is or whoever because those people work their asses off on on this film and 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 they deserve to have their names seen and and otherwise why even bother having credits if you're going to show a movie 
right here during the because credits. the union it, says you have to. Ah, uh, good point. <laughs> but you know, it, uh, you know, it's fair enough. I mean, my wife loved that fact. She was she was crazy about the fact that they showed the case at the end, and and that that's I guess that's all right. You know, if if I would have had the sense that this were actually if they had sent this is what we did. We have these actors and we sent them off and we made them actually do this with a super eight camera. And this is what happened. Mm-hmm. That yeah. would have happened. That would have been kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And I probably yeah. would have looked past the fact that I didn't get to see people's names, but it just felt like an produced version of, you know, an homage of something or other. You know? I, I think it was so smugly proud of how funny it thought it would be that it, it alienated me as well. I was like, don't yet. You, you guys think this is funny. It's, it's not it's not this thing is about maybe 10 percent as funny as you think it is. Uh, and you already showed us the funny parts. Uh, now is not the time to make us watch this thing. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's actually the pro- a problem throughout the movie is it, it's pushing what it thinks is funny rather than letting it happen. And I want to bring out a specific oh, example. That's a great way to put it. It's yeah. Great. This and, and so. In Close Encounters, and, and there's some of this in Jaws, and I love it, there's family havoc. There's a great scene in Close Encounters where Richard Dreyfus is talking about, I think, something about the plot. And in the background, there's a little kid with a doll banging it against a crib. <laughs> and it's, it's a great realistic scene. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, I think his wife is Terry Gar in that movie. And, and the family yeah. chaos in Close Encounters is beautiful. So J.J. Abrams is like, we're going to do that in Super 8. And here's what I want to happen. During a dinner scene, I want a kid with a wiffle ball bat banging on the table. However, that's not enough for J.J. Abrams. He wants to make it a joke where the mother pulls the wiffle ball bat away from the kid and the kid pulls out a bigger wiffle ball bat and starts banging on the table. J.J. Abrams takes what, what, what could have been a great organic moment and he turns it into shtick, into a gag. He wants to push at us the funniness of it rather than just let it happen like it did in Close Encounters. And, and that's how I felt about the case is he wants to push at us what he thinks is this cute little kid made movie that, as you said, Dingus, it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a, a, a smidgen of authenticity to it. Uh, it totally feels like something that was put together to be stilted and, and funny and kid-like. And there was nothing kid-like about it, I thought. Um. Uh, hey, I remember now why I like the train thing. Mm-hmm. It was because uh, that kid was wandering through it, and his mom had died in a horrific accident. And the fact that he was unfazed by all this shit crashing around made me go, Oh, he's suicidal because his mom died. That's dark. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I like your darker take on it, Kelly Wan. You See, should. I did what you do, right? Exactly. <laughs> See, I would have been the yes man in the meeting. Like, yeah, JJ's got it. Look how dark that is. It's more CG, the more traumatized the kid. But anyway, that, that wiffle ball. I didn't even notice the wiffle ball. Yeah. Oh, I know. I notice it because it's it's so obvious when she takes the bat away and then he brings another bat. I, I've magically got another bat, and it's just. It's like when the mom movie starts up in the after their conversation, you know, when the, the <laughs> well, the, you see the power has come back on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good point, good point. I There's so many every- emotional shortcuts from the very first shot, and that this is the this is the thing. The very first shot of the film was oh my the, god, yes, <laughs> with the uh, you know days since the last fatality moment, you just go oh no no, and then we cut yeah. to the funeral memorial wake whatever the fuck that is, and you're like oh no really that's what we're doing it's just emotional shortcuts and 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 what 
Tom said of, of you know, this is what we think is funny and we're going to push it in your face. My, my best hope at that point, by the way, I mean, I, this movie lost me very early on. But at one point I was thinking maybe this adult stuff that's going on with the fathers is not going to be explained. And this movie is <laughs> going to be told from the kids' perspectives where they don't know what's going on. And we as the audience can wonder, is there an infidelity thing? What, what was going on there? Who knows? And that will be unresolved because the kids don't know. And as moviegoers, we will be sort of – sharing the kid's perspective and then later on there will be more cool stuff from the kid's perspective and the sense of wonder and fear will come up and and confusion about adult business but no no such thing happened it was so contrived so by the way i thought it was telling too that they cast a couple of very lightweight tv actors uh kyle chandler is that his name uh and and ron eldard who i know from like er i i've actually only seen ron eldard in a couple of things i don't really know this Kyle Chandler fellow, but they seem to me very lightweight actor types. And there's one point where they're driving to rescue their kids and there's a sense that they're in the car together. So they kind of decide, well, we might as well have a reconciliation scene with each other. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we got nothing, you know, it's a five minute drive. You know what? Let's just knock this dialogue. Yeah. Out. You ready Who to cares just- about the alien? Fuck that. <laughs> Let's give people what they want. It's a reconciliation scene. It's not the character. People are going to kill you for calling him a lightweight. Well, he's Friday Night Lights guy, and everybody loves that. Well, is he a li- is that isn't that just like a comedy about high about high school football though? No, it's comedy. It's, it's something that that everybody thinks is the best best television show ever made. And he was also in King Kong. Tom, how dare you? Who was he in King Kong? Oh my God, he was a lightweight in King Kong too, though. That was the whole point of him in King Kong. <laughs> yes, ex- that's exactly it's true. But but people are going to rake you over the coals for for calling him a lightweight from well, TV he, because okay, go ahead because Friday Night Lights is is considered a pretty heavyweight film, uh, not film, but show. Is he good in it? Because I've never seen him. I, now that you mentioned King Kong, I can absolutely picture him. Uh, he was on that thing about the magic newspaper, right? The last, last edition or that, isn't that him? Morning. 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 No, where he gets the next day's newspaper and he fights. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He yeah. was on that. But but he's considered, the acting on Friday Night Lights by the proponents of that show is considered okay. excellent. excellent. Well, and I, Ron oh, Eldard yeah. was in House of Sand and Fog. Well, now here's the thing. Ron Eldard was phenomenal in House of Sand and Fog because, kind of like Kyle Chandler in King Kong, his character was so out of his element. His character didn't appreciate what was going on and screwed things up. And oh, I right. loved him in that in that capacity. He was perfect in House of Sand and Fog between, you know, how distraught Jennifer Connelly is, how stoic Ben Kingsley is. He he filled his role admirably, and and that's the kind of thing that I think he does great. This, this sort of gravitas that he and Kyle Chandler are supposed to present in in Super Eight. I mean, the parts are so poorly written anyway. Uh, I, I just thought neither of them really sold what they were trying to do. Uh, what were they trying to do? I mean, there's not that stuff never goes anywhere except the reconciliation. Well, I think you know this this idea of like the weight of this this grief and guilt you know i think they're uh, yeah, but, but i think that's what they're trying to do that's what that's what the roles call for is you got to show they, that sort of oppressive weight of the fallout from this incident from, from however long ago it was um, dude in et d wallace never mentions the like you never even know shit about the dad of that well film. you know what i recently watched because it reminded me this movie did right pretty much everything that Super 8 did wrong. I recently rewatched uh, Iron Giant, and the same thing in Iron Giant. The little boy's father I don't think is ever mentioned. Uh, you, you know, it, it's an important facet of what's going on with the kid in E.T. and in Iron Giant, uh, but you don't need backstory about it. You know, an, an, no. ab- an absent parent is 
is plenty uh that speaks that, volumes. It exactly speaks volumes, yeah. And it doesn't need backstory necessarily. Um you know, when when we meet the little kid in Iron Giant, he's he desperately wants a pet. And you know, you've got a fatherless boy who wants some kind of companion, a pet. That right there, you can infer all you need to know from from those couple of facts. And you you don't need you don't need a lightweight TV actor doing exposition and reconciliation scenes. Lightweight TV yeah. exposition, too. It's <laughs> right. not even good exposition. Yeah, it wasn't his line, forget about it, it was an accident. I mean, uh, that's that's your great realization? Yeah, okay. I think everybody- just a lot's happened in the last 24 hours. Wait, like nothing. <laughs> that, but the dad breaks out of that place, and he, what, he just drags the other guy to somewhere, and the kids just happen to be... I mean, he never does anything. There's no intersection, and you well, mentioned this. His, you know, the big payoff is saying, I've got you, son. <laughs> oh, what? That's yeah, and, and his son is like, I want to see the alien. Will you stop it? <laughs> dad! <laughs> I'm looking at a spaceship. Get, get, come on! <laughs> That's another cool thing about Close Encounters is Dreyfus leaves his family. Yeah, yeah. Why <laughs> with these guys who burned him and stole his friend's child and a bunch of our aircraft carriers and soldiers for 40 years for no reason. Well, and he's like, no, they got the answers. Fuck you, Terry Gar. Yeah, I mean, Kids. there's this there sense of being driven to obsession. I mean, Close Encounters is not yeah. – it, 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 it has that little dark edge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the music playing is like, oh, it's the best day of his life. He's never coming back to this shithole earth. <laughs> uh, let's talk anyway, a bit about the 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 this being set as a period piece. Did it work for you guys as a period piece, Kelly Wand or Dingus? Not enough. I don't like. I'm I'm sick of this device where you so a character's walking through the room and in the background on a TV you hear someone going and Three Mile Island today blah blah blah. <laughs> that means it's 1979, Kelly Wand. You see, that's so you know. Yeah, I remember in the Wedding Singer, that M. Sandler movie. It's like every scene's like that. Every time someone walks, like, oh, so someone just shot Jr. Oh, Reagan. Wow, how'd you do that? CG. <laughs> Dingus, did the period piece aspect work for you? Didn't didn't you love seeing that car? There were a couple of cool muscle cars, right, Dingus? Yeah, I like that car when it showed up at the beginning, and then he inexplicably got arrested by the grieving dad, and then it shows up again, and then you're like, oh, I know that car. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, my my favorite thing um, about the period period pieceness of this. It's something, uh, you know, my, my wife was really eager to share. We saw it at different times. She was really eager to share her notes with me about this. And, and after I saw it, she said, here's what I think. It's Stand By Me meets Alien. And she has no idea. <laughs> she has no idea what Alien is because she hasn't seen Alien in 100 years. But, but right. she was grasping for something scary involving an alien. And it reminded her of Stand By Me because of all these kids, including a fat one, running around together. And uh, at first I gig- at first I giggled at her, and then I thought, you know, I thought Stand by Me too when I was watching it because of the way that town looked when that sweeping camera goes through the town with these old sort of stores that and there's a phonograph store and an old electronics store, and uh, because of that, it just sort of felt as much as it tried to be 
of a period. It felt like it could have been Stand By Me, which is a completely different decade, or it could have been the 60s or maybe the 70s. But we're just going to nail a couple of songs onto it, like yeah. My Sharona, and that'll make you think it's this decade. These, these songs have nothing to do with the movie. They're totally just arbitrary. It's My Sharona. Hey, we're going to throw that in here. And that's how you know what period it is. This, this, it, it didn't have to be any period. They just decided to land it in here so it would feel more like a, an old Spielberg film. And it had nothing to do with the period. And so from, from that point of view, no, I couldn't care less what period it was set in. So Dingus, you're wrong because, because of the period, that's the only way you could have the toothy kid playing electronic football, you see. Ah, <laughs> good. Excellent. You know, it reminded me of, I'm the only one on this podcast to have had the great misfortune to see Matt Reeves' remake of Let the Right One In, called Let Me In, which he set in the 80s. And you know that because at one point a character walks through a, ho a hospital lobby and Reagan is giving a speech on the TV. And that's pretty oh. much all that it does with the period piece. And it's the same thing here. You got that Walter Cronkite bit, you get the songs, you get the cars, you get the reference to the electronic football. Uh, I, uh, it's... And why you know what? Is it, why I, I, is it necessary to set it at this time? Because, why? right, I'll tell you why. Because, like you said, Dingus, it's an homage to Spielberg movies, and that, that's when he that's, was making movies. See, but it didn't. It it missed the point of them. <laughs> oh, oh and it's I a guess tribute also band. It's like because, listening to a cover band. Yeah, because <laughs> we can't have the internet or decent cameras, and it has to be Super Eight. We didn't call it High Def. Right. Exactly. HD. This movie could yeah. have been called HD. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, I really resent that because that's as soon as the movie starts, that's a big hook for me is I love period pieces like this. And I think of, you know, some of my favorite movies of all time are like Virgin Suicides and Ice Storm, which are set in the same period. It's because that's when I was a kid. And I think that's what J.J. Abrams thinks he's doing is guys our age. He thinks he's appealing to our childhood and he's failed utterly. You know, there's nothing here that really makes it feel that, you know, none of these kids felt like kids that I knew, uh, you, you know, I, they just were generic kids. It could have been from any time period. Um, you know, his Not whole even thing, that stoner dude? So that's what I wanted to ask Kelly Wand about. So Kelly Wand, I know you have interacted with people who have consumed marijuana before. I'm curious about your feelings about the veracity of the stoner bits. For instance, Kelly Wand, if one were to consume a lot of marijuana, would that person essentially pass out during a battle between the U.S. military and a giant alien. Is that one of the side effects of marijuana, that you sleep through something like that? You'd sleep through movies about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Can I, I drive you? Can I drive you through the movie? <laughs> I did enjoy giving him the F word. Uh, I kind of liked his, well, I could get back into disco. I was like, you know, okay, that's... Those were I liked the hot one, not the other one. That was a funny line too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, I'd rather see the this this story told from that dude's perspective. Yeah, I agree completely. <laughs> it would have been Laser Blast, the greatest movie ever made, <laughs> which came out in 1978. Um, well, did you did you guys? Um, you can answer this in any order you like. Did you guys like the kids? They were fine, Tom? but no, not really. I well, I thought they got short shrift because I was kind of in, I was enjoying trying to figure out their dynamics in the early part where they're sort of together. And then in the second half of the movie, it's just more about Joe and finding his. And also, I was kind of liking the Fanning sister. And then she's out of the movie, too. For half. That I thought was a like, huge misstep, especially because a huge 
because because this is three separate movies that don't fit well together. The worst one is the Dead Mom movie. The second worst one is the Rampage and Alien movie. And the only palatable movie that I saw was the kids making a movie movie. And what made it palatable was the great was the way it sort of came alive when Elle Fanning appears on the scene and and how Joe is smitten by her. I I actually liked the scene where they meet and he's like, you knew that about when she said something about his dad's the sheriff. That was a great moment. Um, I like I liked how she wasn't interested in him. I like the makeup scene. I liked her doing a zombie. Uh, you, yeah. you know, it's and when she gets kidnapped, I mean, that was a huge tactical error. I just lost. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was just like the movie then is just kind of spinning its wheels until she gets rescued. Right. At which point I know. it's over. Um, it's a quest in an MMO yeah. all of a sudden. I got to run across the thing. Now. And the kids. I mean, were, there's no reason for him to be able to do any of those things to rescue her. There's just no reason for it. And and you're right, Tom. Once she's kidnapped, it, you lose all interest in the movie because you know she's not going to be killed. You know, yeah, she's yeah not my favorite dynamic. And therefore, nobody's in danger that you care about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the I only other dynamic her. is... Yeah. Was, well, was I really was, like her. I, I think she's really good. She She's really... I mean, that, that train platform scene before the yep. awful let's throw uh, train cars around, when she wows them in the rehearsal... I mean, she's great. I mean, I I love. I I think she's really good. I mean, she's she was, she's the she was great in somewhere. She's just she's really great. And I think that the 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 kid who's playing opposite her, um, Joe, I said his name before. Do you guys remember his name, Joe? Um, Kapultnik. No, it's uh, Joel Courtney. I'm sorry, Joel Courtney. I think I think he's good too. When he when he says, "I'm sure. I'm just in shock at this conversation." When they're having that conversation before the electricity comes on and we see the super eight film of his mom that's been playing apparently all the time um i liked him too but yeah. you're right tom as soon as she's taken that is such a miscalculation yeah yeah i said that oh, i'm sorry <laughs> uh tom kelly, went you yeah missed up <laughs> what kelly said about it being a miscalculation is totally right i wish you would have agreed with her tom <laughs> Uh, but the other kids are just caricatures of kids. I yeah. mean, the, the director kid is just like the fat kid in any Steven Spielberg f- film, and I'm sure he can do other things. But unfortunately, he's reduced to saying, I liked her too. And the, the, kid with, who, the kid who does the M80s, they get ridiculous braces slapped on him, and he just gets to be that kid. And then the other kid is just a screaming bitch. Yeah, uh, that's his that's his payoff is screaming and throwing up more in each scene. And then the funny kid in the background on the phone disappears. Yeah, he's the like the sister in Poltergeist who's never around. Well, he's the one they have to leave behind at the uh, concentration camp so that Kyle Chandler can Do figure what again? out where everyone's gone. Yeah, and and yeah. when and my wife had to explain it to me because I suddenly wondered, wait, maybe one of the kids died. Where'd the kid that was the funny kid in the background mouthing things on the phone? Where'd he go? And she had to remind me, oh, he's the kid who they leave the film with for some reason. Right, right. Because he's too scared. Uh, so, Dingus, I, your your wife, uh, in her notes, like she, her notes are pretty much approving of this movie. She she approved of this movie. Uh, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. She she liked it. Mom approved. Uh, she she liked the things that I really. I mean, she liked the soundtrack because I guess she was in a in a theater full of people about our age who were who were more likely to. Um, bop their heads to my Sharona than to be like, why did you put my Sharona? Come on. <laughs> um, which, you know, and she liked the, the Stand By Me vibe. And um, 
Oh, but also she knew things like she recognized the area in West Virginia that it was filmed. Now, that's uh, what I wanted to ask you about. So Kelly Wan was able to speak to the veracity of the uh, portrayal of drugs. Dingus, this movie was set in Ohio. However, it was actually shot in West Virginia. And if I'm not mistaken, Dingus, your people are from that area. Was that a distraction to you? My people are not from West Virginia. They're from Virginia. That's the same thing. Is, it's the other end of Virginia. It was brother against brother, Tom. <laughs> it's like saying people from America are also from America. It's well, they like, are. No, they're not. Not yeah. if they're from another kind of America. The thing is uh, what it knows, what it is, or something. Uh, can you say. guess, Tom, mm-hmm. if, you, if you had to guess, mm-hmm. what, what do you think my wife's favorite line was from this movie? Uh, I would guess it was, look who's talking math camp. <laughs> no? Am I close? No, but it has something to do with a question you asked Kelly Wand about stoners. Was her favorite line, what the F? Because that's the stoners line. Uh, what, what do they say after, like, they can't wake up the stoner because he's so stoned? What does the whiny kid in the back yell? Can you drive? Heels. Drugs are so bad. Uh, <laughs> that's nice that they uh, got that little message in there. That's probably they had to sort of parlay a value judgment on the drug use with the portrayal of the drug use. <laughs> yes, that was great. Remember when they He's, took the guns out of E.T. and they turned uh, the they were dressed as terrorists, um, <laughs> the kids to go out on Halloween and then. Because it was right after 2000, 2001, she they changed it so they were all hippies. You and they turned the, they turned the guns to like walkie talkies. You know, Kelly, right. I was thinking of that as I watched this movie because at the beginning when you see the military, you're not seeing any guns. And I, right. I was thinking, yeah, you are, you are about no. At the beginning, you're just seeing the military, they're, they're flashlights, they're carrying boxes. There's and then it's a while before you see the guns. Ah. When when Kyle Chandler drives in and they all arrest him, you know, magically, uh, and then yeah. guns appear, and I was like, oh, okay, guns are going to be in this. It's not like but never guns. used. Right. Well, because they it's don't. Edgy. They, the you know Noah Emmerich actually kills the scientist dude, or I guess he has With his poison. Yeah, he has his sidekick do it. The evil yes, the black uh, sidekick black man servant Butler do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, that's why this movie is less racist than X Men fourth class because in that movie they were just uh they just died but in this they're both villains and die ah good point villains and martyrs yes exactly equally um is there any way we could get a new alien looking creature do they all have to have pan's labyrinth eyes and wavy arms like cloverfield is there any way anybody could think up a new freaking creature it's funny you ask and i'll be getting back to that later in this podcast Oh, good. <laughs> I mean, and and why, why do we only see – we don't ever see him. I mean, other than that ridiculous telekinesis moment. What the – I think we see him. I mean, we get a pretty clear sense. I think no. we do. He's got, he's got either six or eight arms slash legs. Oh, okay. His face – you know, he, once his eyes roll over and you see his, like, true... Did he have blue eyes? Am I... Am I uh-huh. that? See? You don't even know how many arms he has. <laughs> oh, wait, seriously. Was he... Was no, he had gray eyes. Shut up, Vegas. So he, he had, like, grimly eyes. Like, suddenly he gets all cute looking when his eyes roll over blue. Uh, and, and so there is no reason on Earth for him not to eat 
the lead kid, right? Like, what's what's uh, going on there? The lead lead kid gets spared. Can you guys tell? Is it because the lead kid espouses his theology? Bad things happen that the alien spares him. What's going on there? Someone explain that to me. Well, because he thinks the kid's black. <laughs> <He's very laughs> that's, that's not right. <laughs> can't see because his eyes are gray. He's, uh, I'm I, a scientist, but also Kelly Wan. I oh, you got, yes, Dingus. What do you got? Uh, no, go ahead, uh, Kelly Wan. You mentioned I think you've seen the thing too many times because I don't think he was, he was not building a spaceship down there. What he was building was some sort of uh, generator to turn the water tower into a magnet, which would then suck all of the spaceship pieces to it. I don't think that yeah. was a that was <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Yeah, all right, college boy. Fuck you, Egghead. <laughs> Look who's talking, Math Camp. Oh. Dude, Cloverfield, you see more of that guy than this. It, it's yeah, it is awfully coy with with the alien. Uh... I'm like Hitchcock. I use CG sparingly, so you can't see what's going on. <laughs> hey, did you guys see any uh, of your favorite actors from Winter's Bone show up in this movie? Oh yes, that's right. You know what? I was giggling during that scene, and that's that's why you noticed because you were probably like, "Why is Tom giggling?" Oh, look, it's Maven, or what was her name? In uh, I forgot her name. She had an awesome name, Mayhab. No, something like something like Ahab, but with an M. Mayhab's a boy's name, Tom. No, what was what was her name, Dingus? Because you probably made a point to look it up when I forgot to. Well, I just know her. It's the actress's name. I, I don't remember the uh, the character. Star Dale Dickey. Dale Dickey, but I don't remember. What they cared. And she was like, what, a waitress or something? Well, she was just in the background with a couple of lines at one point. Yeah. She, I think she shows up to like bring somebody into custody or something. It's, it's very weird. But I definitely, I mean, her face is so distinctive. Yeah. And, and I just feel like, ah, oh, come on. It's all you can get her to do. She's awesome. Just make her play one of the kids' parts. I, how I, to get out of the tunnel. How to get where out did, the Where tunnel. did all the dirt go? What, what, yeah. It ate it. it how they know that that hole was in there? I wasn't even understanding that. That's how stupid I am. Because when he was visiting the cemetery during the touching yeah. scene where he visits his mother's grave, he right. saw that uh, the cemetery garage, which all cemeteries have a big garage, right. and and it was moving <laughs> funny and dirt was flying around. Oh. And, and so then when he heard the word subterranean, he went, wait a minute. Where, wait a where minute. Have I, I know seen subterranean mm, stuff. That's odd. So it's that's it, right. So it, the alien's dislodging all his mom's body, and he's not. Well, that would be that. great. You're you're at a, a cemetery, and there's Eating, a creature yeah. digging underground. Boy, what could you do with that? Hmm. Remember when Spielberg? Yeah, yeah, when Spielberg produced Poltergeist, and you could have yeah. bodies floating around and scary stuff and evil clowns, and and there was a sense of malice. Man. Yeah, dead people in the swimming pool. Yep. Kelly wants being saying. sucked up into trees, and maybe they would die, and we'd never see them again. Ah, oh, nah. That's right. Yeah. Kelly, one, did you you promised an impression for us? Do you have an? Are you going to do an impression for us tonight? Oh yeah, I. Well, we got so many. Uh, we it, our servers crashed from so many people saying how much they enjoyed my impression of James McAvoy and his British accent last mm-hmm. week on that podcast. So this week I was going to do the late Gene Stapleton from All in the Family. <laughs> are you ready? Okay. Is this related to Super Eight, or this is just a? Uh... This is a separate feature. You be the judge. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Gene Stapleton. 
Oh, Archie, your dick tastes like Jefferson's. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between. Okay, I cannot get in trouble for saying anything about Kyle Chandler and Friday Night Lights after you just did that. What? It was an homage <laughs> to a great Norman Lear show. You guys will get in separate trouble. The, the one has nothing to do with the other. Nice try, Tom. Well, Dingus, you're going to get in trouble for trying to include West Virginia with Virginia proper. You did that. Jerk. Yeah, don't try to blame me. Uh, let's do a three by three. Dingus, is this your three by three? <laughs> I didn't realize the Civil War was East versus West. I thought it was the other two compass points. Yeah, dingus. I'm confused. North North versus South Dakota. I'd know there'd be history on this test. (laughs) It is my uh, three by three, and it's your three favorite expressions. Three facials. Your three favorite facials. Golden showers. Right. Uh, Do you need to explain this any further, dingus? Um. I Can it be was, a CG facial expression like uh, Obi Wan Kenobi's and these aren't the droids you're looking for? The movie that was I was all, looking for non faked facial expressions and I I uh-oh. sort of bollocks it I think because as I as I really went and looked at it because I've been mulling over this one for a while and and in my uh, in my list of of ideas it's listed as expressions but I think it's more like reactions but 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 for the purpose of this it's it's your you know. Literally your favorite facial expressions that actors have done in films. All right. In, in movies that you've seen, not, not like in books. So if you have, if you have facial expressions from books, that really won't. Not real life it's, either, huh? Cause we all live in Los Angeles. This is such an awesome podcast. <laughs> so, infor- so instructive on what media are and how they work. Now, can we use our own performances? Like if we've been in movies, for instance? If you have an example of a death rictus, then yeah. <laughs> Right. I didn't know what to do with this thing. So, I, I mean, I had plenty of uh, options and I just picked sort of three out of a hat that uh, I, I'm not sure how much I have to say about them. Uh, I did, however, get screen caps for each of mine. So uh, if you go to quarter to three dot com and you go to the forums and you go to the thread for this for this topic, I will be posting screen caps for my facial expressions. So I just want you guys to know I have visual aids that I've brought along. That is, that is, is that contagious? Oh, that is excellent. I will, I will, I will have two of the three. Okay. Yes, that's I'll good. have three of my three. All right. If anyone's interested. Right, <laughs> so, the so these will come with a uh, with visual aids. So uh, here's my number three. Uh, I and I've actually mentioned this one on the podcast. Um, there's a point in the movie Killer Inside Me where Casey Affleck is talking. He's he's palavering with a restaurant owner. And it's early on in the movie. He's just a good old boy cop. You don't know that much about him. And he does this weird cowboy grimace expression in the middle of a line. He's just saying to the guy, he's been having a conversation with the guy. And he is about to basically excuse himself by saying, I got a whole lot of getting around to do and I don't want to hurry. And he doesn't. He doesn't have anything to do. I mean, the whole point of the movie at this point is that it's very small town. It's very slow. It's kind of uneventful. And he just does this weird sort of takes a big breath and a grimace and rolls his eyes and it looks ridiculous. And I just love how he gets away with it. Casey Affleck in both Assassination of Jesse James and Killer Inside Me, that guy has like he's captivating and interesting to watch, but not because he's charismatic, because he's a little kind of like creepy and weird and but yet normal looking. Um, 
so that's one of my favorite expressions is this odd cowboy grimace beat that he takes in the middle of a line in uh, Killer Inside Me. Is it when he's leaving the diner? Yep, when he's leaving the diner. You know, and you you said you didn't know what to do with this, but you did exactly the right thing with it because you mentioned something, and I have an exact picture in my head of the expression that he made, and it's perfect. Good. Well, the the picture will be posted. And and unfortunately, just one shot of it doesn't quite do it justice because you got to watch him saying the line and then pausing to take a breath and doing that weird thing with his face and then continuing with the line. So ideally, you want to see it in motion. Uh, there will be a screen cap here. So, well, well, that's the thing. This isn't your favorite frame of or of or your favorite shot of an actor. An expression is uh, a living thing that happens, and that, and that's why I was sort of waffling earlier on when I was talking about this between expression and reaction, uh, because an expression happens through the muscles of the face or whatever. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm glad you're going to post pictures and I will too, but you're right. I mean, the ones I'm choosing too, there's a sense of, even if it's only for a second or a split second, there's a sense of the expression conveying something. And so, so you're absolutely right. That's great. Good. Good. Kelly Wand, what is your third uh, and by the way, these aren't necessarily my favorite. They're just the ones I thought of and chose <laughs> and that I could get screen caps of. So, uh, Kelly Wan, what is your third place expression of choice? When you said that, when Dinga said that, when you said Grimace, it put a picture in his head, I thought of the purple McDonald's guy. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> and that his name's Grimace, but he's not grimacing ever. What makes you think of the Hamburglar? Um, when Dingus mentions Wendy's notes. <laughs> okay, my third favorite facial expression in a motion picture for today is, um, okay, in that movie Wrongfully Accused, where, with Leslie Nielsen, <laughs> there's a part, they're parodying The Fugitive, and so the train leaves the tracks like he does in Super 8, except it's Leslie Nielsen instead of some kids. And then uh, he hides behind a tree, and then he peeks out behind the tree, and then the train peeks out behind another train. <laughs> so that's my number three, is the train's expression and wrongfully accused. The train... Hold on, I'm writing this down. The is train's this... expression... Is the train looking from behind a tree? Yeah. Well, no, it's peeking out from around the tree. The train's expression when it peeks out. And what is the train? What do you think the train is feeling at that moment? It's thinking, I see you, you see me. I see you. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> All right. James Cameron, uh, Ghost Row, that scene. Uh, do you remember who played the train? Ah, good point. Or who pulled the train, even. Do you remember who pulled the train in that movie? What's, um, not Michael Winslow, but the other? Bubba Smith. All right, excellent. Good. Wrongfully accused. The train's expression. Okay, I got it. And it peeks out. Also, me. the train in Silver Streak had the smile at the end. Oh no, 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 Save no. Save it that, for the runners up. Your runners up, Kelly. Yeah. yeah. But I was not your favorite. That. Not your no, favorite. No. So that was like my trains. Right. Wrongfully accused. Train. All right, Dingus. What is your number three choice? For, but did you want to oh, talk about wrongfully accused Tom? You know what? I haven't seen it, so I don't. I didn't want to spoil anything. <laughs> but you've read the novel. I who wrote that? Um, 
I think it was Joyce. No, it was Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> I'll have to uh, get that from the library when I'm finished my current. I'm supposed to see my friend Joyce tomorrow. I'll ask her if she wrote it. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what is your number three choice for a facial expression in a movie? Or Joyce. All right, I've got two. Um, uh oh. I've got uh, two. I disapprove. Fairly cheesy director movies in my list. This is one of them. Although this movie was was much better than I thought it would be by a director who can be fairly cheesy, but he's got he's got he he also can have really good performances within his cheesy movies. So this is this is a, a movie called Love and Other Drugs, which I just saw a couple weeks ago. Ha <laughs> ha. What are you ha-haing about? You saw Love and Other Drugs. You saw an Anne Hathaway romantic comedy. Did she's nude that? in it, though. How nude is she when she's nude? Is she, like, nude, nude, or nude? Um, she's she's nude and not nude, but she's nude. Can you she's, see the Abraham Lincoln birthmark on her? And who's yes, the dude in you it? Can't, you can't see the fives. Is it Ashton Kutcher or something? Who's the dude in it? The Can you see the jackal's hoof on her scalp? It's okay, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a brokeback reunion. They're he straight. Is. Stop it. I do, you know what? I do forget how good he is. How good is he in is in certain things? I guess is he good in Love and Other Drugs? He's fine. Um, she's great though. I mean, she's really. I really love Anne Hathaway. Uh, it was it was directed by Edward Zwick, and and mm. what, I, what I was talking about. You know, he did Glory and Blood Diamond, which uh, we always uh, a light touch. He has, exactly has a light touch. It's a good touch for comedy. Yes. <laughs> but they, but both those films have some have a couple of decent performances in them, and 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 she's great in in Love and Other Drugs, and it's a much better film than I was expecting it to be. I don't even know why Netflix sent it to me. I think it was part of <laughs> some promotion that they were doing. Um, uh, but anyway, but Anne Hathaway is is flat out great, and there's there's this moment in the film. Um, Kelly, have you seen this? Uh, I saw the nude parts on a thing. <laughs> um, was the thing attached to you? Mm, at the time. Okay, good. It was, it was um, a really weird night. It, I can't explain. All right, I, th- I thought you had you had seen this movie, um, and it doesn't sound like either of you are interested in seeing it. But it, it's it's you know it's kind of a uh, I want you to be in love with me. I'm not going to be in love with you kind of movie. And yeah. there's this there's this great Let's moment. fuck somebody else. I mean <laughs> Are you are you talking about this? Are you talking to me? Um th- there's this great moment where, where she uh she gets back from this bus trip and she gets off the bus and she sees Jake Gyllenhaal there in the parking lot where the bus drops everybody off. And um it's clear he's been waiting there all night for her. She's been pushing him away and pushing him away and pushing him away for very good reason. And um, the expression she gives when she sees him says, I just love it when when an actor can do this. When, when you just see everything ab- above their eyes, you see all this information. I, I know that because of things that have happened before this he's been waiting here all night i know that now we're going to end up in a relationship i know this is going to end horribly for us i know we're in trouble and you see this all sort of flash over her face in a in like a split second 
it's just this great expression. I just saw it a couple of weeks ago, and I, I've been I've been I've had this this category in my back pocket for a while, and this sealed the idea that I should that I should bring it to the the forefront because I really liked her, and I I just think Anne Hathaway is really good and and should get more respect for how good she is. And and when she looks at him and she sees him there, and all of these things go over her face in a split second. Uh, it's just, it's just a revelation. So what, what Tom was saying about how a screenshot isn't quite going to catch it is part of that because it, it might just be a second of, of film time, but you see so many things go through her and it just happens like that. Hmm. And you actually saw this. All right. I actually watched it from soup to nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you uh, said it was Edward Zwick, that made me want to see it less because I distinctly remember the uh, romantic subplot in Blood Diamond being so incredibly clumsy uh, with Jennifer Connelly as the reporter. Every, every scene with Jennifer Connelly in Blood Diamond, that thing just takes a nosedive. Uh, yeah, no, but you, you really liked Leonard DiCaprio, didn't you? Yeah, no, I liked, I liked, yeah, I know you call him Leonard. Uh, I, I liked Blood Diamond quite a bit, but with the exception, I mean, those, the, the romantic subplot of Blood Diamond was just horrible. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't do a romantic comedy. So fair enough. Uh, so how often is she nude in it? <laughs> Let's get down to brass tacks, Dingus. Like how many yeah. minutes worth of nudity would you say is in Love and Other Drugs? How many frames will I still pause and loop and then burn on another CD? <laughs> 15%. Well, that's good. Uh, who besides Jake Gyllenhaal and Anne Hathaway are in it to make me maybe want to see it? What do you got for me, Dingus? Um, Nathan Lane. Mm, not working. Keep going. No, I'm just kidding. He's oh. <laughs> the poor man's Oliver Platt. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, Chiwetel Ajiofor. Is he really in it? Oh, mm-hmm. he's good. Although he was in 2012, so now I have to. I have to. No, he was right. not. None of the names are, I, I say are going to help you. Oliver Platt, Hank Azaria, and the, the, these guys aren't going to make you. I like them. What are you talking about? Both of those make me want to see it. And Kelly Wand, Chuidal AG of Four was not in 2012. Don't say that. That's a terrible thing to do to that man. Um, how about uh, Red Belt's good? Red Belt's great. George Siegel, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Just stop with Oliver Platt and uh, <laughs> Joe Clayberg. Was he really? I think so. I like oh. I like Joe Clayberg after Bridesmaids. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. All right, I'm sold. I'm not, I'm going to be dropping that in my Netflix queue tonight. I like George Siegel. He's sort of my Joe Clayberg. Uh, it's worth saying because Anne Hathaway is freaking great, right. and there's just no oh, way. Yeah. Around that. Is she better than in uh, Rachel Getting Married? Hmm. Mm. See, tough question. No, but but she's farther along, or further along, I should say. Um, she's she's really good in this. I, I don't think ma- the material um, rises to her level, but she's really good in it. Okay, all right. I'd like to further her along. And Kelly Wand, on that note, what is your number two favorite? Oh wait, it's my turn. Oh, it's your turn, yeah, Tom. <laughs> and Kelly Wand, on that note, Tom, what is your number two? Hold that thought, Kelly Wand. Uh, my number That's all two, I do. Uh, my number two, this is the moment of the title card in this movie. Uh, it is when the name of the movie flashes on screen next to the actor's face, and the look on the actor's face at this moment is priceless. Because it is a mixture of, of shock and disbelief and confusion and what just happened... And it is the moment in 127 hours when James Franco gets his hand caught in the rock. 
the first thing that he does is he like yells because it hurts. And then he regards his arm with this look of astonishment as if the rock had just teleported itself in front of him. You know, it's it's a total WTF look on his face and the words 127 hours flash up on screen. Uh, and then I think it, it periodically counts down how long he's been stuck there. Uh, but I, lo- I just love because everybody's seen the movie at this point, presumably knows that this is a watershed moment. You know, from there's everything there's everything in 127 hours is either before rock or after rock. And the moment of James Franco that he realizes this rock, my hand is stuck in this rock. You know, when he calms down from yelling because it hurt, uh, it's just a classic look on his face. James Franco, I really like. I think he's a really good actor. He was really good in 127 Hours. And, you know, it's a crucial moment. I, I would be curious to see alternate takes. <laughs> like, what, what else are you going to do with that scene or the moment you realize this, this rock has caught my hand? So that is my number two. You guys have both seen it, by the way, so I didn't spoil anything. I haven't seen that. Uh, I have, I have podcasted evidence that you have. Oh, so busted. I liked the rocks expression. <laughs> the, the rocks performance is a little wooden. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that movie was really snowy. Mm. Uh, I liked that movie was really what? That movie was really stony. I wouldn't know since I only read the Cliff Snotes version. <laughs> Very good. Dingus, can you top those? Uh, I just made a Dwayne Johnson joke with that. This <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Kelly Wine, you win the contest. Well done. Uh, oh, give him a hand. <laughs> can you do the rest of the podcast in that intonation, Kelly I'll bet you an arm and a leg. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Kelly Wand, now on that note, what is Cut your to Kelly Wand? <laughs> what is your number two choice for a facial expression in a movie that you really groove on? Oh yeah. Uh, okay, this is one's for Tom more because mm, he's mm. a Star Wars nerd. <laughs> but to me, uh, the expression on Han Solo's face after he's frozen in carbonite <laughs> stayed with me. <laughs> his mouth was open so I was like oh he got it in his mouth he's fucked so I spent three years certain Han Solo was doomed because his mouth was open from swallowing and, carbonite because you don't want to get that you probably should not ingest carbonite yeah and also he was all like his final words were full of bravado and braggadocio but his expression when he's in carbonite, he's all bummed out. So that's my number two. Wait, what movie was that? Star Wars uh, Attack of the Clones. All right, got it. You're done. Star Clone Wars Attack Wars. All right, Dingus, what is your number two choice for uh, favorite expression in a movie? Hold on. <laughs> oh, that. Got it. All right. Uh, braggadocio has two G's, like a lot of bad words. Braggadocio, is is he the bounty hunter that was after them, Braggadocio? <laughs> Racist. All right, my number two. Um, I will give bounty. you a quote. Oh, good. Actually, yeah, I'm surprised we've come so far without quotes. Dingus, give us a quote. I got a good feeling about this one. I will take it. I will take it. Hmm. 
That's a terrible quote. <sighs> Things you're really? awful at quoting. Um, Hunter, uh, 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 love and other drugs. Outlaw blues. Silent running. Nope. African queen. Who says the quote, Dingus? If Winchester seventy three. If you tell us that, it might help. Um, should I tell you the name of the actor or the name of the character? First, give us the name of the character. Then, if we can't get it, give us the name of the actor. All right. Very the name of the character is. Uh, I'm just going to give you the first name. It'll make it a little more cryptic. Okay. Okay. Mm, I like it. Frodo. <laughs> You're gonna do uh, the look on Ian Mc- or, uh, Ian McKellen's face when at the council of the Gilad, the what the heck is the city's name? Lothlorien. Uh, ah, Tom said Lothlorien. <laughs> I'm trying to nerd out here. <laughs> I'm not very good at this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm stealing your thunder, Dingus, because I know exactly what you're talking about because we've talked about it before. So, uh, yes, uh, we have. I am going to do the look of the Galadriel at the Council of Lothlorien. Um, that's wrong. Because first of all. Galadriel is that not his name? <laughs> uh, it's the it's the Council of Elrond. Why is the council named after him and not the place where it's being held? I'm sorry, the Council of Rivendell. Yeah, he's just the chairperson. Oh, and it's not Lothlorien at all. I got my elven cities mixed up. That's embarrassing. That's <laughs> easy to happen because they sound alike in Elvish, and I know you're used to speaking Elvish. Shut up. At least I don't speak Klingon. <laughs> Cho-cha. Why don't you tell us about right. Ron Far? Uh Oh, again with the pond. What a goose I am. <laughs> yes, right, I have is... brought this up when uh, back when we talked about our favorite um, our favorite adaptations. I know. Just get your grunts yeah, out this, now. This is a good one. I like this one, even if I can't think um, of the names of the cities. I, I love I love this expression, and and it's not um, the the other ones are involving other actors in in the scene, and this one is, but it's clearly sort of an inserted. We shot this particularly to get this reaction, and it is when uh, when Ian McKellen, uh, as Gandalf, is reacting to Frodo stepping forward at the council and saying he'll take the ring during this this huge argument where everybody's arguing about what should happen with the ring and who's going to do what with it, and um, I, it, there's just I, I just love when so much can pass in an actor's face. In in a second, and you get so many different things. Like everybody's arguing, and Gandalf is arguing too. Uh, but he, y- you see in his face that he was waiting for Frodo to say this, and he knew Frodo was going to say this, and he's grieving that Frodo says this. Um, you see this all pass through him at, in this expression. As and this this is one of those moments, and I've said this before in Fellowship of the Ring that that always brings tears to my eyes when i see it it's just it just has that 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 element of i'm sending a child of mine off to war and i don't want to do this i i would do anything to stop this from happening but i can't and this has to happen and this is the only answer and i know it's the only answer i can't suggest it he has to suggest it my my child has just grown up and his heart is breaking. I mean, there's so much happening in this little expression. And, um, yeah, I, I 
can I just love this movie so freaking much. And part of the reason is a little moment like this where Gandalf just has this moment where he hears Frodo say he'll take the ring and his heart breaks. Very good. I like the part in Two Towers when Gimli goes, I killed 45. But how many has Legolas killed? Like 9 million. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that is now, we're going to use this now to segue into our new feature, and it's the Lord of the Rings trivia contest. Uh, This will be pitting Dingus against Kelly Wand. The first question goes to Dingus. Dingus, what is the name of Tom Bombadil's wife? Oh, why do you give him the easy ones? This is bullshit. Why would I know that? I, I did, I'm not. Okay. I'm not the one who cares if Tom Bombadil's not in the movie. Yet. Well, no. then that could be a point for Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan, if you answer this, you get the point. Wait, it's Goldberry. It, it's oh. Goldberry is correct. That's one point for Kelly Wan. Zero points for Dingus. Dingus, you still have a chance to get a point now. Dingus, why didn't the Eagles carry the ring to Mordor? <laughs> Oh, that's right. It wasn't in there. It was a, a union thing. Mm, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Kelly Wand, if you get the answer, you'll pull ahead with two points. Uh, CG can't carry weight ratio unless it's uh, South African coconuts. I'm sorry, the answer I was looking for is because they would be corrupted. So, Dingus, this is still to you. You haven't lost the, the opportunity to answer a question first. Dingus, what is Gimli's dad's name? Ah, oh, this is, this is your favorite one. It's groin. You love groin. Very good. That's one point for Dingus. So uh, the score is tied <laughs> one to one. We have two questions to go. Kelly Wand, now the questions start with you. What did we not see at the end of the movies that was in the books? Outtakes. Mm, I'm sorry. That's a good answer, but that's incorrect. Appendix C. Dingus, can you tell us what we did not see at the end of the movies? The back cover of the books. In the end of the books. Picture Tolkien with a pipe. You'll pull ahead if you get this, Dingus. Uh, The Silmarillion. I'm sorry, the answer I was looking for is The Scouring of the Shire. All right, here is the tiebreaker. The score is one-to-one. It could be anyone's game. Kelly Wan, you have the chance to take it by answering correctly the following question. What level am I in Lord of the Rings online? 50. Ah, that's very close, but it's wrong. Dingus, this could be yours if you win. If you get this question, you win the Lord of the Rings trivia contest. What level am I in Lord of the Rings online? 62. You were right. Dingus, you were the winner of Lord of the Rings. You won the entire thing. It's all yours. Well done. Kelly, I'm very disappointed in you. I thought you knew this stuff. I thought you knew. I thought I didn't know you meant your primary. I thought you meant your twink. <laughs> it's all for you. RP server. All for you, Kelly Wan. What's all he win? I'm really upset right now. Very well, we've got a trophy for him. Uh, that Dingus. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have the. We've got girls in skimpy bikinis. They're elves who come in and they present that to you uh, at a separate uh, broadcast that we're doing. So. He already has a trophy wife. Ah, uh, Wendy's a little bit more than that. Wendy's a PhD. She's a PhD. Not many trophy wives have PhDs. That just makes her a better trophy. Okay, that's one way to put it. Not a better wife. Uh, I think we're down to our number one choices for facial expressions, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, What about Zap trivia? Well, save that for. uh, uh, That's another podcast. Uh, Mm. All right. Actually, I I couldn't. Yeah, you'll have to to conduct that one, Kelly Wand. Uh, Conduct. All right, so my favorite facial expression, or at least the one that came to mind that I, 
I grabbed for this list is uh, Kate Blanchett looking at that little boy in Hannah when she's interrogating him as if she wants to eat him, uh, <laughs> where she looks like a, a big bad wolf. That's kind of her role in the movie. So that's my number one favorite facial expression for this week's podcast. Uh, all right. Uh, Kelly Wan, what do you have for your number one favorite facial expression? Um, I had a bunch of cool runners up. <laughs> Save but, the uh, up. My favorite facial expression in any movie is um, in Adam's Family Values when um, the camp counselors are trying to brainwash Christina Ricci by making her watch Brady Bunch and um, Little House on the Prairie. And so she's trying to fake them out and make them think that she's been brainwashed. So she comes out and she tries to smile and you can see it's like hurting her physically to smile. It's like her face is is crumpling. Uh, But she she convinces them that she's smiling. So it's her fake smile in Adam's family values. And when you watch that, Kelly Wand, can you trace any continuity to Black Snake Moan? (laughs) Yeah, all roads lead to Black Snake Moan. Uh, and then finally, Dingus, what is your choice for number one favorite facial expression as of the time of this podcast taping? Uh, these weren't my favorites. They're just ones I grabbed. Um, actually, this is really going to be difficult for me uh, because I really can't stand this movie. And it's a really bad movie. And I used to really like it. And rewatching it 20 years later, it's horrible. Um, mm, but, don't do that. Don't do that, Dingus. Let sleeping dogs lie. I can't. I can't. I have to wake them oh, up. Oh, it's Cujo. <laughs> um, uh, oh, man, it's so bad. But but the, the uh, this this facial expression has stuck with me for 20 years, and it still is fantastic. So it's number one. And it's it's this movie called Frankie and Johnny. It's from what? 1991. I know. Oh that's not, first of all, it's not a movie. That's a play. And second of all, Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer are miscast. So what do you think of that? Yes. How do you, how do you feel about uh, that? Uh, Who do you think should have been cast? Let's see. I would pick Kathy Najimy and Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not Kathy Najimy. Elizabeth Berkley and Lee Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys know that Lee Marvin was, was Steven Spielberg's original pick for Quint in Jaws? Yeah. Oh my god! I love that guy. I love that guy. What? I don't know what you're doing, Dingus. I'm assuming it's a line from a movie because that can't be your reaction to hearing that we could have gotten a Jaws starring Lee Marvin. Are you a Lee Marvin fan? That's not inconceivable. Yeah, I it can is. See Lee. No, it's totally ugh, really. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be as good. I mean, it's the greatest Robert Shaw thing yeah. ever. The greatest performance ever. But. Why would I be a Lee, Lee Marvin, Marvin fan? I don't know. I don't. What have I seen him in? He's like in grandpa movies. I can't think of any. What's something that Lee Marvin is awesome in? I can't think of anything offhand. Uh, that Twilight Zone where he's a boxer robot or pretending he's a robot. That and the big like... red one's good. And um, some other war movie. Yeah, not registering for me. Dingus, you got anything for me? Make me care about Lee Marvin. Well, I know you love um, the Dirty Dozen, like... right? Yeah, sorry, right, Dirty Dozen. Yep. Yeah. Is he in Kelly's Heroes? Probably. With Rickles? Probably. Yeah. Clint Eastwood. All right, so Dings, this is a 20-year... You, know, so you don't know any... You don't know the... Are you Lee, I bet you're oh, Lee. no, you know what's an awesome Lee Marvin movie? Uh, Death Hunt with Charles Bronson. That's a fucking great movie. Did you guys see that? 
Where he's like a Mountie chasing Charles Bronson. Not Death Wish? Death Hunt? No, Death Hunt. Death Hunt. It's <laughs> a terrible name for a movie. No, it's fucking rules. Oh, you guys gotta watch that. I'm really gay for Charles Bronson. I'm oh, I see, I don't get Charles Bronson either. That guy is just you don't? like... No, he's, no, like he's so, awesome. No, he's like flat and uh, he's not cool. No, and no, 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 he looks, no, no. He looks like greasy. No, Charles Bronson. He's going Bronson. for your head. You didn't see uh, Red Sun? With him and it's like uh, Toshiro Mifune, you have to fight over this. It's like a western, the samurai sword. I think that sounds kind of cool. The only thing I've seen with uh, Charles Bronson is the one where he has to like dig a tunnel. Is it Great Escape? Is he in there? Yeah, Great Escape. <laughs> He's one of the escapers. Spoiler you know, alert. Whatever. It did nothing for me. I was like, who is that guy? Is Charles Bronson? Whatever. I don't think I've seen Death Wish since I was a kid either. So I don't know. Charles Bronson doesn't. Death Hunt. I'll take Death Hunt over Death Wish. What would you think, honest. Kelly Wand, of Charles Bronson? As what about Once Upon a Time in uh, the West? Oh, uh, awesome. you know what? Good point. Yeah, good point. Harmonica. So as a cowboy, I'll buy him. But otherwise, once they take him out of cowboy days, I couldn't care less about him. He's in one of the greatest movies ever made, Once Upon a Time in the West. I agree with the latter half of that statement. <laughs> I agree with the first half of that statement. I mean, the part about him being in it. <laughs> Uh, okay, Dingus, so you were going to tell us, this movie is 20 years old, it's awful, you went back and watched it, and it has a great facial expression in it. Uh, what was the name? You were going to give us a name of a character, I oh, think? I'm sorry. Well, no, but before I do that, this week's podcast uh, contest, and please guys do not, you two, don't Google this while I say it. Um, the podcast contest is, uh, go ahead and tell us what the movie is from that where the quote is, I bet you're a, Lee, you're a big Lee Marvin fan, aren't you? So whoever tells us that wins this week's podcast contest and gets Kelly Wan to do a synopsis of their life. <laughs> That's awesome. I really want that. Wow. I'm going to Google that, right? Oh, I mean, I'm Don't not Don't Google it. That. Don't resist. I bet you're a big Lee Marvin fan, Dingus. That's a terrible line. All right. If Tom, if you Google anything, we're going to crash. I know. Lose all uh, the that's gym. good point. I understand. Well, it's Dingus's fault for making me want to Google it. So I'll right, Google so- and we'll split it. <laughs> this split anyway, this this horrible film I'm talking about is Frankie and Johnny. And oh right, right, right. right. Uh, <laughs> Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, <sighs> it was a film that I that I fell in love with 20 years ago because I was trying to get a girl to go out with me. And I thought this movie had sort of resonance for us because she didn't want to go out with me. And I really wanted to go out with her and she was afraid to fall in love with me. And it was, it, but it's horrible. It's horrible. It's Gary Marshall and it's everything you expect from Gary Marshall. It's terrible schlock. Everything that's going on it seems artificial. All the stuff, all the ancillary characters are artificial all the crap in the background, all the New York City stuff is cliched. New York, somebody runs into somebody else and jumps out of the car and yells at him. And it, it's just horrible New York City. It's just schlock. It's terrible. Um, but Michelle Pfeiffer and, you know, Al Pacino isn't his normal, what we've come to expect of him just raging, yelling. Old yeller. <laughs> yeah. He's not that guy. I mean, he's he's got some moments in this. But but she's just wonderful. And, and there's... There's this moment. And this is the moment. This is this is how powerful for me, and and this is why I picked this. I mean, just even a frame or an, a facial expression from even a bad film can stick with you for decades. And and it's this this moment where where Frankie, this guy who's been sprung from jail or who's gotten out of jail, 
and he's a shorter to cook in this little diner where Michelle Pfeiffer is a waitress and he's trying to court her and they have this, Oh, is you is, is you ain't relationship. And they get together. And then she has this moment where she goes off to her bowling night. She's like, leave me alone. Don't, don't show up. I, I need some time away from you because he's really intense and he's just, I'm in love with you all over her. And she goes to her bowling night and he shows up and charms everybody. And she's totally annoyed because this is my time with my friends and I needed this time alone. And he shows up and takes over the night and she, trying to escape from him goes to the goes into the women's restroom uh, i need to get away from you just goes into the women's restroom and he follows her in there to profess his love for her and she just can't take it because she's been alone all this time and she's been she's been abused and has all this baggage uh but there's this moment where he's professing his love for her where she looks at him and he's just telling her why you know uh, you know i'm i'm overcoming my fear because I want you and I love you and this is what I think of you. You're afraid of this, that, and the other. And Michelle Pfeiffer does this look to him, and I've remembered this for 20 years. This look goes over her face where what he's saying reaches her, and there's anger and there's fear, and she just breaks down in this little moment before she throws him out of her life at that at that little juncture. But just watching her, and I watched it again this week. It's again, it's terrible. Please don't watch the movie. Um, but just her face, the way she listens to him, the way she hears what he's saying to her as an act, the way Michelle Pfeiffer is the actress is, is processing this moment and working through the character. Yeah. I mean, Tom's right. It's horribly miscast. I think Kathy Bates is the one who played the, ah. it's a Terrence, Terrence McNally film. Kathy Bates was in it on Broadway. And when and the, the the famous story is when she heard that uh, the casting had been Michelle Pfeiffer and it's that classic Hollywood. We're going to ugly down an, a gorgeous actress to play what's supposed to be a, an ugly role. Uh, Kathy Bates just laughed her ass off because <laughs> um, it's a horrible miscasting, but it's a Hollywood film by the guy who directed Pretty Woman. I mean, what do you expect to happen? Um, but Michelle Pfeiffer in that situation doing a Hollywood film of this this uh at the time award-winning play still does a great job i mean she, you can't really blame her for being a beautiful woman um and she is uglied down a little bit uh but that moment where she's listening to him and she has this expression on her face and just it just breaks over her it's like this wave of emotion breaking over her face and i again it's just this thing and i can't really explain it better than that it's, and it's a facial expression that has stuck with me for two decades and so i cannot give it the number one all right uh now i don't know if you know this but michelle pfeiffer is actually in a movie with ashton kutcher where he's very good what do you think of that um do you mean kathy bates <laughs> it's that ashton kutcher like where he's a wrestling coach movie oh uh, god I always get Kathy Bates and Ashton Kutcher mixed up too, by the way. So don't feel too uh, Ashton was in About Schmidt. He was naked in that. Right. I was about to say that. I don't think that's true. Yeah, in the jacuzzi scene. Ashton Kutcher is really in About Schmidt. Naked. It's the last time I had a hard on without a pill. He's he's um, gonna make love with Jack Nicholson, and he gets out of the hot tub, and he's like, "Whoa, it's Ashton Kutcher. He's naked." You guys, it's because it's cold about. in here. So, Tom, do you have any runners-up? Uh, first of all, that line is from Reservoir Dogs. Yes, I win. 
Tom, you jerk. No, I'm just that smart, I realized. Uh, I heard him typing. Tap, tap. Uh, I'm surprised. You know, what's no funny one... about that is that you said the Digging Tunnels line, which is also from Reservoir Dogs. What Digging Tunnels line? You talked about uh, Charles Bronson digging tunnels, and you inadvertently gave another line from Reservoir Dogs. Is that mentioned that. in Reservoir Dogs? I need to see that again. You actually, I think you even gave me a copy of the Blu-ray. I, I should watch. Somebody mentions Charles Bronson digging tunnels in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, when he's talking, when uh, when Quentin Tarantino's talking about um, like a, what like a virgin actually means. <laughs> Oh, right. Because a reservoir is like a tunnel, but without a roof and wider. Uh, I do want to make a prediction. So there will be a thread for this in quarter to three. How many posts do you think it'll be before someone mentions Harrison Ford shooting the guy with the sword in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? I think that'll happen in the first 10 posts. I don't hmm. I don't think there'll be 10 posts. <laughs> No. Uh, so I, I, so Dingus, you mentioning uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and the Frankie and Johnny at the Claire de Lune thing, uh, I, it, it, it brought to mind the scene of Nicole Kidman in Birth, where uh, she's gone to an opera with her husband, Dan, the, the horribly grating Danny Houston, who's perfectly cast. <laughs> and uh, she sits down while the overture to, uh, it's not Das Rheingold, it's, it's a Wagner opera. It's the second opera in the Ring of the Nibelungen cycle. And it's, a, it's during the overture, there's like a good, it's kind of be like a three, four minute scene, whatever, of just her face after being confronted with, the sort of dramatic tension in this movie uh just it's it's just her face it's emotion washing over her face for you know three four minutes whatever uh i love that scene in birth but that's by no means a single expression it's like an entire sequence of, of just one shot um so i yeah. thought of that uh I, I i love the uh just because i love this line uh i love richard e grant the, the exasperation on his face with the fuck are you talking about in, in with nail and I, uh, when he's has this little miscommunication with the Paul McGann, I, I guess that's the actor's name. Uh, I love that look on his face. It's just perfect English exasperation. Um, what runners up do you guys have? That was so much better than 127 hours. You should have chosen that one. <laughs> you need, where you, where do you see the frame for 127 hours? Seriously. I mean, it's just, it's this great, it's this great WTF. I mean, it's just the, the look on his face. Looking at that rock, uh, and when you think about what he's about to go through, uh, it, it's a, yeah, it is. You're right. It is a total WTF moment, and that's and it sort of highlights one of the things that drove me crazy about them. What? And it's also starting the clock. Well, yeah, remember because he said it was to Danny Boyle, the movie. Something yeah, but there. not not just a, a shot of, of of disbelief on James Franco's face, though. I mean, that's come on. Haven't you ever? You guys have been injured before, like you stub your toe or whatever. There's that great moment of shock where you're like, "What just happened?" Uh, right? We right. all know yeah. that. Yeah. See, do I win? Is it a freeze frame? Nope. Nope. He's just sitting there <laughs> regarding it, like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, there's a great moment, and this is just a, this is way way obscure. Uh, in Brazil, there is a younger. It's like the the daughter of a friend. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's a great one. Do you really? What? 
Uh, this is way too. It's the chick with the braces. Yeah, with the headgear. She's got the headgear on, and when they're fumbling around, and he steps on her foot or something, and she gives him this cross look that immediately evaporates into a nervous smile, and then goes back to the cross look. Second, he turns back. He's yeah. Just like, Fuck you. <laughs> I love that little bit. Wow. Okay, maybe yeah. that's not obscure. I should have. Been... No, no, no. It's I'm hilarious. So, I'm so proud of you, Kelly Wan, that you know that. Okay. It's actually. It should be all our number ones. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's perfect <laughs> choice. It's one of the. It's the most. Yeah, it's one of the great, greatest expressions. It's it's expression comedy. It's just great, beautiful expression comedy. Uh, Yeah. uh, Well, go ahead. Well, I just I I was bummed that character wasn't in the movie after that. Like, she really hates him. Yeah. (laughs) Later, aren't they supposed to go out? Like, that's the scene. It's like they're setting up that neither of them wants the date. Right. Yep. Yep. And on that date. My runners up include uh, Wilford Brimley in the thing, uh, putting his finger <laughs> in his face <laughs> and making a bunch of squiggly noises. And uh, in the director's commentary, John Carpenter asked him what he was thinking about when they were shooting that scene, and Wilford Brimley said, "Doing my laundry." <laughs> so, That's a perfect way to sort of capture in your eyes the malice of the thing. And how good Quaker Oats can be. It's just good. Just the right choice for your heart. Uh, also, uh, did you guys see Human Centipede? Yeah. Dingus hasn't. I don't think Dingus. There's no facial uh, expressions really... in that. Mm-hmm. Dieter Laser is the scientist's name, right? Yep. Or the actor plays the scientist. Every, I, I, there's not everything, every money shot in that movie is an expression. Because there's not much, there's not actually a lot of gore in it. It's just people's faces, I would argue, that make it all worthwhile. That it's guy's very, a great. That guy is fantastic. It's a very concept-driven movie, you might say. Yeah. When he says, uh, "I don't like human beings," his expression there. I was going to put that as my number one for a while, but then I I remembered Christina Ricci. Also, <laughs> Maya Rudolph's ghost in *McGruber*. <laughs> very good, Kelly Wand. Dingus, you concur with that one, right? Oh, I love... Yeah, that's definitely... Now, come on, Dingus. Admit we have broken your resolve a little bit. You now begrudgingly enjoy thinking about MacGruber. Is that correct? I love Maya Rudolph. <laughs> All right, See, Dingus. He goes, if anyone's going to object to this wedding, and then she peeks out from behind. She's, she's a playful little ghost. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, like, she's pranking him. Like, that's what the afterlife's like. Like, you prank <laughs> the guy. That's the theology of MacGruber. That's right. What, yeah, exactly. I don't mind you marrying her. Uh, Dingus, what do you got for runners up? Um, I love, you know, when you know, Tom was talking about, I think, expression comedy. Um, this doesn't really fall into that, but I, but I like it for that, for, Similar reasons is uh, uh, Roy Scheider's face when he backs away from seeing the shark. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't back away, Dingus. He pops up into frame. Like, right, exactly. Of- and and yeah. then when he marches back into the cabin. Yeah, yeah. And what's the line that follows? Uh, hey, Chief, put out that fire. <laughs> that is great, Dingus. You're too coy to say. That's of course we need a bigger boat. That's that's the that reaction leads to one of movie dumb's most famous lines. So what? That's a good one. What? What's what? the line? We need what's a bigger boat. We're gonna need a bigger boat. Uh, I don't remember that. 
I know it's a it's a small little bit, not very memorable. Yeah. Hmm. Dingus, any other runners up? There's a there's a raising Arizona one where uh, Hi gives this one look like why would you do that to me? But I'm but uh, let's just go let's just uh, stay with the Jaws one. All right, good, good. Well, are you guys ready for next week's three by three? Because it's relevant. Oh, let's do it. Hmm. So I don't like relevance. We saw uh, Super 8 this week. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but there is a monster in it. And at one point, we see the monster. And it looks very much like the guy from Cloverfield with elements of Pan's Labyrinth and maybe a little bit of ETIs or a little gremlin mischievous look to it. Um, creature design is hugely important these days. And we could talk forever about great iconic creatures. For instance, Alien. Y- y- you know, back in the day... That that weird elongated domed head that H.R. Giger conceived was just just freaky. There are so many iconic, cool things about Alien, the Alien and Alien, uh, that that is a famous iconic Alien. But what I want from you guys are what you feel are some underappreciated creature designs, creatures that, and you'll have to use your own uh, standards for what you feel means underappreciated, but but creature designs that you think are cool and haven't gotten the sort of recognition that something like Alien has gotten. Now, for Kelly Wand and I, because I think we're in horror movies more than Dingus, this is going to be a little bit easier. Like Dingus, when we did bad movies that you like, bless your heart, you went and you watched things like Mega Piranha. You, you went above and beyond the Call of Duty trying to catch up with Kelly Wand and I. Uh, but I just want to remind you, Dingus, it doesn't have to be from horror movies. In sci-fi and fantasy, there's plenty of creature designs in there to draw from. <laughs> so feel free, when I say creature, to remember that sci-fi and fantasy have... For instance, Dingus, the cantina scene. you got a lot of options. Oh! <laughs> from what, from what, mo- I, what movie are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> if you feel that, you know, Hammerhead, for instance, is a great creature design, or Walrus Man, you know what? You've got those at your fingertips. So what I want from you guys are under... <sighs> Why are you starting this by kneecapping me? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to try that one, good luck with you. Pat on your head. <laughs> Actually, so I think a lot of the stuff in the cantina is appreciated, though. Like, well, maybe not. Uh so do what you will with underappreciated. I, I don't want to. We, I don't want to talk about, for instance, great stuff like the Alien. Uh, we don't need to do that. I just want stuff that you think should be more widely recognized. So there like you go. The Predator. Are you going to define I, creature? I think that. Well, uh, I don't think I need to. I mean, you know what creature design is. Where, where there's some. I do, but somebody else on the podcast. <laughs> I think Kelly Wand will go where he goes, regardless of what I say. Uh, that's a very good. Point. <laughs> uh. So, all right, that'll be our three by three next week. Underappreciated, our three most underappreciated creature designs. We will be seeing, you know what, I forgot. What did we decide? Are we doing Tree of Life instead of Green Lantern? Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do, let's do Tree of Life. And by the way, Uh I was going to say Tree of Life. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Never mind. Yeah, hold it, save it for save it for the podcast. Uh, well, just because Super Eight is like the same. Thing. Yeah, save it for yeah. Uh, you do it, Wand. Period piece, kids. Next week we're seeing Tree of Life. See it before Kelly Wand ruins it for you, because he will. And then join us next week when we come back to talk about it. Followed by our three by three of underappreciated creature designs. There might be creature designs in Tree of Life, for all we know. So they, they might the, the, the topics might tie together nicely. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by uh, Christian. M- oh God, uh, Miranowski. Christian Miranowski. Uh, it's Christian Miranowski. Mm, I don't think so. And uh, Kelly Wand. 
Body Switch Movie, God and the Devil, both George Burns. John is in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat, batch out laid off. Says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. God knows when, but you're doing it again. You better duck down the alleyway, looking for a new friend. The man in a coonskin cap in a pig pen wants $11 bills. You only got 10 I love you, Lou. Oh, I appreciate Anne Hathaway's creature design. Kelly touched me, Good. and I knew. 